You're listening to Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury. Before I start the show today, I have something that I feel the need to talk about. It's been a rough couple of days up here in Seattle. A local comic who was much loved uh, and a big part of the comedy scene, Meredith Flanders, took her own life a couple of days ago. Uh, it's been very intense. There's been a lot of emotion the comedy scene up here is very close knit, and as a musician that plays in several comedy shows, you know I've become a part of that scene, and I have so many friends and people that are close to me inside of that scene. It's tough when someone that is a part of your circle is going through so much pain, and you don't really realize it. Uh, it's hit everyone pretty hard, and it was it's hit me harder than I expected it to. I I didn't know Meredith too well. You know, we'd hung out a few times at shows and uh, parties, and she was definitely a wonderful person and some that, someone that I always, you know, respected and, and admired. She said in her suicide note that she had been in constant pain from migraines and back pain, and she didn't see an end to pain in sight. You know, if you listen to this show regularly, you know that I have some chronic pain issues that I've talked about before. I do have uh, chronic migraines. I have some degree of discomfort or pain every day. Uh, and it was really hard for me to find out not only that Meredith shared in those problems, but that it, you know, was so serious that she did not see a way out. You know, she and I never talked about it. I had no idea that she was going through anything even remotely similar. I, I can only imagine that hers was far more serious than mine, considering that it, you know, made her feel like she was out of options. But what I will say is that I've had many experiences where I tried to talk to someone about what it felt like to have chronic pain. And it's it's a terrifying concept. It's something that scared me when I was a kid, and it's something that, uh, when it actually happened to me and became a part of my daily life, continues to frighten me. And the scariest thing is that it could get worse, because now, you know, now I'm functional, and now I'm able to go about my daily life, uh, with some exceptions, but I take those exceptions as just part of being who I am and what I've become. Uh, but I know what it feels like to, to lose hope, uh, to feel like your pain is going to be with you for the rest of your life and that maybe it's going to get worse and worse over time and maybe you know, the best you felt is behind you. Um, and I know what it feels like to try to talk to people about that and to be shut down because it makes them uncomfortable. So I, I feel the need to say... If someone comes to you and wants to talk to you about their pain, please listen to them. Please don't shut them down. Don't, don't be afraid of what they're telling you. Or if you are afraid, you know, go face that fear and, and listen. And that's all you need to do is just listen. Uh, I don't mean to presume that I knew what was happening with Meredith or that, uh, or that there were people that weren't listening to her. I just know that there's a stigma that surrounds people who have constant pain and oftentimes they are told that they are making it up, that they are imagining it, that it's not real, uh, that it's all in their head. And it doesn't matter. You know, th that's bullshit. It's, it's absolute fucking bullshit. If somebody feels constant pain, even if it's not from a cut or a bruise or a scrape, it's still real. I experience this on a daily basis where I have pain that I shouldn't feel, but I feel it and it's real. And I know what it's like to not feel pain. I remember the times that I didn't feel pain. And I know how I feel now. And I know that something changed. I know that there's a difference. And once those things happen, in, in most cases, it stays with you for the rest of your life. And it's, you know, it's like a switch is flipped in your brain and it just stops working the way that it used to. 
And that's, that's real. That's a tangible, real thing. And just because our scientists can't prove why or prove what it is doesn't mean that it's not real. And I know that there's been days where I was desperate to talk to someone and desperate to share in that pain with someone to try to lessen my own burden of it. And that's very hard to do because most people don't understand. Most people have no frame of reference. And it's very frightening to, to talk about it, to think about. After learning that that is what drove this person that I knew to take their own life, um, I'm going to try more to uh, give people the benefit of the doubt and to try to be a little bit more open about it and share more in it because I as a person, I know that I need to get that off my chest. I need to talk about it. Otherwise, it's going to fester and, and linger and, and worsen. And uh, and I don't want that to happen for me. And I would say that for anyone who's out there who knows someone who has any sort of chronic pain condition, I know it's scary to listen to them talk about it, but you don't need to say anything. You don't need to uh, give them any ideas. You don't need to su suggest they try anything because they've tried it all. All you need to do is just sit there and listen and support them and, and just be their friend and be there and be close. That's it. That's all you need to do. Well, I hate to start such an exciting episode on such a somber note, but it's, it's been weighing heavily on my mind and I, I wanted to share it. And, you know, if I have this platform where I can talk to people, uh, then I, I just got to say what's on my mind and what's important to me. Let's move forward and let's talk about brighter things. Uh, I am thrilled to be able to share with you this week my conversation with Manu Entereme, a real-life Star Trek actor. Uh, I, can't even, I can't believe it. I've been doing this podcast for a little while now. I'm on episode 18, and on episode 18, I have a real Star Trek actor, a well-known Star Trek actor. It, it was never even something that crossed my mind. It, to actually try to get real Star Trek actors on the show. And this fell into my lap uh, with the fifth passenger people contacting me to come on the show and talk about their Indiegogo campaign. And they said, hey, Manu and Tereme wants to come on your show. And I said, well, fuck yeah, let's fucking do it. And here it is. And it went better than I could have possibly imagined. Manu is uh, not what I expected at all. He is an incredibly interesting person. There's so much going on in that wild brain of his. And... We just hit the ground running with this conversation. It just went all over the map and was just fascinating and, and brilliant the whole time. So uh, I really hope to meet him in person someday. I felt like he'd be a great guy to sit down and grab a beer with and, and catch up. Gluten-free beer. <laughs> anyway, here we go. Manu Entereme from, uh, from The Fifth Passenger, Icheb from Star Trek Voyager. I hope you enjoy It's not really a long story, but back when Skype came out, I figured I wasn't going to use it for any other reason than talking to my parents. <laughs> I didn't figure I was going to use it for any business reason or anything, so I just yeah. picked a stupid name, and uh, uh, there you have it. So every time someone says, what's your Skype name, I'm like, oh, man, here we go again. 
Yeah. Star Trek sexy. <laughs> is that something that I can include on the podcast that you are Star Trek yeah. sexy? Or is that, is like that too it. much information? <laughs> no, I, I'm, I am uh, not embarrassed of anything. That's fantastic. I'm so excited. Are you recording? I'm recording, yeah. Okay, I started good. recording before I even answered the phone. That's how, okay, that's how on the ball I am. <laughs> all right. I'm all warmed up, too. I just talked to, to Morgan and Scott for an hour, and it was awesome. It was super fun. Uh, cool. You know, sometimes you miss the good stuff in the beginning when you're not recording. And, that, and like, we'll have gold, you know. A few podcasts I've done, we've had gold. And then they're like, okay, ready to begin? And I'm like, yeah. oh, man, you just <laughs> had the good stuff. Yeah, that's not how I roll. I'm, I'm always ready to capture yeah. good stuff. That's my motto in life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Manu, Manu uh, Ente Reme, am I saying your name correctly? Yes. My uh-huh. motto in life is if you're going to put it in, put it in all the way. <laughs> yes. I, uh, that's my, I'm going to share your motto. I'm stealing your motto. That's yeah. now my motto. Right. Yeah. <laughs> full, full insertion all the time. <laughs> yes. Full insertion. That's, yeah. a, that's, that's a, a, a good t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, full insertion with the little dash underneath and says Manu Entereme, and then a little picture yes. of you. It should be the picture of you that I'm looking at right now on Skype, where you're you're smoking a cigarette and you got the the eyes going. It's very it's a very intense look, and it works well, very see, well. I have to I have to drop that look too because I don't smoke anymore. Yeah, was that hard to give up smoking? Yeah, you know I've given up a few times. It wasn't so hard this time. This time I used the uh, the pill to help you stop, and it it. It was easier than the other times that I've quit where I've just gone cold turkey. There's a but, pill? You know, I had no idea there yeah, was a pill. It's called Chantix. It's a dangerous thing to take. But it didn't do anything to me but make me you know, um, better at not wanting a set. I mean, you still have to quit. It's, it's not like it's a magic pill, but it definitely made it easier. Wow. Easier. I, it was easier than the nicotine gum or things yeah. like that. I was just talking to, to Morgan and Scott about uh, you know, like taking a pill and growing back your liver and the whole idea of all this Star Trek technology becoming real and medicine becoming real. And I don't know. I mean, if the pharmaceutical companies are still in charge of our lives, then we're going in the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah. But hopefully it'll get better someday. Yeah. Don't even start with me on who's in charge of things. I'll, I'll go way off the deep end. With oh, you. really? Oh, I can't. I mean, that's like bait. Who's in charge of things? I have to know. Well, you know the 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 same people that 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 own all the banks and the Federal Reserve own all the oil companies, who in turn own all the major banking cartels, who in turn all, own all the the um, media conglomerates, who in in turn own all the weapons manufacturers, and, <laughs> and we we sell war around the country and and around, around the world, and we've been doing it for eighty years. Wow. Um, and then behind all that, it could get even weirder. But, uh, you know, uh, that much I'm sure of. And then how weird it gets beyond that, who knows? Wow. So are you where, – where do you feel that you as an individual fit in to that society? What, what is I'm your – I'm just fodder for the system. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we, we, you know, we're the one percent. You know, the the ninety nine percent is we. They just they got the few. You get the elites out there that are just running the show. The trillionaires, the billionaires, and there's not many of them, man. It's like that ninety nine percent. You know, one percent having most of the money is 
reality right now. Right. And that's, I mean, so basically all of people like me, we just bust our ass and break our back so that they can tax us and take their, their money. And out of all of our hours and all of our, 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 our we're just basically slave labor for an elitist class that, um, you know, that where it gets weird is they might be half alien, but that's, <laughs> That's where it gets weird. I, I just think most likely that, that you know the the rich have, have figured out how to own and operate and run the government and and corporate entities run Congress and and all of our representatives and the president and everything else. So yeah. you know we we the the country was formed to make sure that that never happened, but the the corporate and rich have have figured out how to buy the government. So. Kind it's funny that you system. say that they're they may be half alien. I just read a, a sci-fi novella by Carrie Bailey about these reptilian aliens that took over Earth long, long, long ago, and basically, like through the media and through propaganda, have found ways to make us the the apes, the humans, make them their slaves, uh, willing slaves, without even knowing that we're slaves. It's like everything you're talking about, basically, except that the people at the top are actually aliens. And we are. Well, you know, I haven't thrown that possibility out the window. Yeah. It's just that, like, you could have a political discussion or a, or a, you know, sociological discussion about the way things are and the way things are run. And when you get that far, then it, then most people just look at you cockeyed. Um, <laughs> but I, I, the thing is, I've been a big UFO buff for the last 10 years, too. Oh, cool. You um, really got into UFOs and, and books and UFOs and, and, reading uh you know all the history of them and bottom line there is some amazing technology out there doing some incredible things that our militaries are even baffled by so i wouldn't th i wouldn't throw it out the window that they're either working with us or controlling us at the top of the food chain i also wouldn't toss out the window that our military has been secret black ops um, for about 50 years now and has just created some kick-ass machines that they're not telling us about. Yeah. I mean, it's something that was brought up on the X-Files is like, what is the actual, you know, alien presence that's happening and what is the government trying to trick us into thinking there's an alien presence happening uh, so that they can get all these people to kind of shout about one thing for the misdirection so that they can go in another direction and make these stealth bombers and all that kind of stuff. And we just can't know. I mean, unless there's some sort of massive sea change in the way that we get information from the government, we just won't ever know. No, I mean, the only thing that I could think of is that to just, we just need to start, but the people are so stupid and they want to <laughs> keep us stupid and they don't want to, you know, the, America is a, just a weird place, but the, I, the, I think the place we could start changing things government wise is if the people actually got behind some third parties and started a right. kick kicked out the, the Democrats and the Republicans from Congress and started electing libertarians and what you know whatever else and uh, just people that aren't completely their campaigns aren't completely supported by the oil and banking cartels then maybe we could get a, a change in, in government but right uh, right now everybody just votes for who the TV tells them to vote for <laughs> and, and um, that's the way things have been for a while. How do you feel about uh, Bernie Sanders? Uh, you know, he's that he's the same choice they always give you. They go, that's kind of how they stay 
in in this two-party system. You know, you go, if I throw out my vote for Bernie and I vote Libertarian, then the Republicans wins, you know. So that happens all the time. It was like when, back when, um, I like Bernie Sanders quite a bit, but uh, do I trust him? No, I mean. Or it's almost like you don't trust the system to allow someone like Bernie Sanders to even have a chance. No, and when it comes down to will he you know i think obama was a, a a decent guy at heart but when it comes down to the agenda that the that the ruling elite really has the president doesn't have a whole lot of power anymore um yeah although obama's think, done quite a lot i listened to him on on mark maron's podcast and he was talking about what he wants his legacy to be and all the things he actually has accomplished the fact that i mean even though the universal health care system is not necessarily what what we may have wanted, at least it exists. And then gay marriage is legal, which was just like the happiest day. I mean, it came out of nowhere and all of a sudden gay marriage was legal and that was under Obama's watch. I mean, that's amazing. Even that one thing is such a huge change that it is the type of change that he promised in his campaign. Yeah, but he also promised to get Wall Street out of his cabinet. He right, right, right. to get that out of the war and it, that was his, the big platform and, and and that didn't change at all and the war actually got bigger and worse and um are you a glass when, half empty or glass half full type of guy both depending on the day yeah <laughs> you seem like just a very very open-minded individual who's open to anything yeah, I don't necessarily believe anything because there's too much information out there. I'm just interested in all of it. Yeah. Um, it's ha really hard to make a really firm, solid stance on something because there's just so so much going on. Yeah, when the rug's pulled out from uh, under you all the time, how can you make a solid stance? Yeah. I Have you seen um, the movie uh, Dogma? Yes. That's uh, one of my favorites, and I love the Chris Rock speech about how it's better to have an idea than a belief because ideas can change. And I, I actually, yeah. like, after seeing that, I tried to live my life that way with the, the idea that, you know, whatever's in my head at any given moment should be open to change based off of what's coming in. Because, you know, if aliens have been running the government this whole time, then I think the people who have open minds are the ones whose brains will not collapse under the change when we find out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's true. Uh, you know, I, I, the thing about me too that that I find dis most disgusting is, okay, say that the the elites are Satanists, wow. uh, like some people believe, like the people up the Bo Bohemian Grove that they do the sacrifice of the death of care. I don't know if you've heard all that stuff. No, but, I have no idea. Okay, there's a secret club up in northern San Francisco called the Bohemian Grove, and uh, almost all of our presidents have been been seen there. The rich and powerful, the the, the elites, the Bilderberg Group, the Committee of Three Hundred, they go up there every year, and it's just it's a secret club. You can't get in unless you broke in, and they'll find you. Um, and every year they go up there, and they have a a they call they do this sacrifice called the Death of Care. And a bunch of rich people sit around. Um, what's his name? Got his cameras in there and filmed it. Um, Alex Jones. And so you see all these rich people sitting at a table eating what, and just. And then all of a sudden, a cr they do this 
thing where there's there's this giant wooden owl and there's this huge stage and it's like that scene from the Kubrick movie with the secret party there's all these guys on the stage with robes going oh, shivab, da, da. And <laughs> Kalima. Then they, they, Kalima right and there's this huge fire and there's this these steps and they force this naked woman what? up the steps screaming and then they throw her off into the fire and according to the folks at the Bohemian Grove, it's just a play. It's just a symbolic that there's no real that they don't kill the woman. Um, but they won't ever prove that or say who the woman was. So it's oh, a little God. even if even if it's just symbolic, it's still pretty freaking creepy because these guys do this. They sacrifice this woman during this so-called play with all these men in robes to this giant owl figure. And then they all shout that they're killing their care, which is disgusting. Yeah. Um, and weird. And um, this is horrifying. So, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. What what do, what do you think it means for our society? Why would why would our ruling elite be interested in something like this? Oh, because uh, okay. So you hear about these guys too at like the um, the Skull and Bones clubs and the the guys over in Europe that are boning the pigs' heads uh, in par in the the ruling elite of Europe. You hear all these stories, right? Um, I I think it means the bottom line is if you're going to make a living off, all right, you know. Um, Kennedy assassinated and uh, guy before him uh, that said, uh, beware of the military industrial complex. Kennedy tried to warn us about it, tried to say there's a subversive ruling elite below the, the, the surface that relies on all these other means. Beautiful speech. If you look it up, the Kennedy speech two weeks before he's killed. Wow. Um, he tries to warn us about these guys that just sell war for a living that 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 you know and basically america's been at war for with with little even when we're not at war we're bombing somebody um secretly um and in order to join that club you would have to not really care about the average individual right i mean if you were going to make a living building bombs you sacrificed your care haven't you wow so I, I I don't know. I think that's what it means. I think it means if you want to be a, a – I, I know just from trying to make millions of dollars that it's pretty hard to do so without – with and still care about people. Wow. This is so interesting to hear this from someone uh, out of the Star Trek world, which you are, because the Star Trek world is yeah. kind of trying to uh, – you know, the good of the many outweighs the good of, of the one, you know, where yeah. the prime directive, like all these ideals that humanity needs to strive for in order to become its best version of itself. Uh, but we we live in this modern day where people are all about money and power and, you know, climbing up the ladder. And it's terrifying. I, this actually ties really well into what me and Scott and Morgan were talking about, uh, where Scott's a, like, more of a a cynic and Morgan is more of an optimist and hearing their different views of the world and how it informs their art and their creativity. Um, and you, you seem like just like this free radical in between. <laughs> where yeah. I'm sometimes I'm really optimistic and, and sometimes I'm really, really a pragmatist and, and a realist. And I'm just like, everything is shit. 
Um, but, you know, I think there's a little bit of truth in all of it. You know, I was watching the Keith Richards documentary the other night, Under the Influence on Netflix. And here's a guy that's managed to live his life completely outside of the system and just play music and spread love and joy. And, you know, he had a few problems with drugs here and there, but he lived his life and he didn't do anything but positivity with it. Yeah. Um, and so that's the reason that I chose the arts to be to begin with. Is I, I look around at the world and I see a lot of funky stuff happening, and I, I don't want to be a part of any of the official uh, system stuff, the forty hour a week, so that I can give my money away to my government that does messed up things with it. Um, and the only way that I could figure out how to spread any sort of empathy is when I saw really good films. I would walk out and it, they would touch me and they would make me feel more connected to my fellow human beings. Um, not even, even films like Pulp Fiction that are completely, you know, uh, filled with violence and craziness, they still make me feel connected to, oh my God, there's people out there living that life. Um, so there's that, I, I, I look at film as a way to possibly spread empathy, which I think is lacking in the, the human species. Hmm. And it's the only way that I've figured out how to like feel okay about living in this yeah. um, this capitalist sort of um, what's the word uh, the country that takes over other countries and uh, imper- imperialist around. yeah and capitalist imperialist nation is to sort of kind of just be an artist and try not to take part in the bombing people as much as I can. Not yeah, <laughs> I I agree a hundred percent. I was I don't remember who I was yeah. talking to, but it was just yesterday where I was explaining why you know I have a day job, I work four days a week, but then I make music. The rest of the time, I I make science fiction synth pop, and then I have this sci fi podcast, and I I'm trying to spread the sort of feeling of the future that I want to experience in the way that Star Trek did for me through my music yeah. and through what I talk about on the podcast because. I truly think that as a human being, that is the most powerful, important thing that I could possibly do is just live the type of future I want through art because yeah. art touches people. It reaches inside of you and it, uh, you know, it caresses that intrinsic human element that's inside of all of us that needs to be nurtured in order to move forward in a positive way. Yeah, I'm down with your thoughts. I have this horrible, terrifying thing that happens to me sometimes, though. But I think it happens to everybody in their 30s uh, that are, you know, we're trying to figure the world out. Yeah. But what if the bad guys are right? And what if there isn't enough to go around and there isn't enough resource to feed and clothe and and keep everybody comfortable? Um, and they know up at the top of, you know, the – the elite. I don't consider myself a, a very intelligent human being. So maybe these guys that run shit sort of just know that, hey, you can either have a few people comfortable on a continent and they can be artists and whatever, and then the rest of the world has to suffer, or we're going to overpollute, overpopulate, over whatever this place. That's their basic thing. You got to keep some parts of the world third world. You got to keep people suffering and i mean for us to live the lives that we live a lot has to be sacrificed and america does that they 
sacrifice and take and steal and sh around the world so that we can have our one bedroom apartments and microwaves and cars and and the simple stuff that the poor all have in uh, healthcare. <laughs> yeah. Really bad healthcare. I mean, my healthcare is good because I make just enough money a year to have good healthcare. But I'll tell you, I, I have some friends that are on the, the, you know, don't have any money healthcare program and they don't get very good healthcare. I, I mean, they're seeing doctors, but whew, some of these doctors are quacks. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would say in response to that, that it very well may be true that we have to live this way in order to use the resources we have. But I would also say that maybe it doesn't matter, which sounds super trite, but I think that choosing what we believe is what matters and choosing to believe that everyone can have a better life is the, is the right way to go because then it pushes us to create the technologies to make it real. And I think the difference would be technology. I mean, just look at, I, I, keep, I always talk about Star Trek. I, I bring everything back to Star Trek, which my friends have always made fun of me for my whole life. But look at what happened in the Star Trek universe. You invent the replicator, which can create anything for anyone, and all of a sudden material needs and money go away because they are meaningless. And that's done through technology. So as long as we're striving for that better life, the life that we currently have, uh, of course, I mean, of course it, it matters, but it's not, it's not the future. It's not where we're going and as long as we keep trying to get somewhere better, then I do believe that we can. Uh, you know, colonizing Mars, getting people off of this planet, get, getting out into space and uh, spreading us around. I mean, that's the only way it's going to be able to go as, as we grow as a population. I just listened to this great podcast with, on Star Talk about Bill Nye just explaining why GMOs are actually going to be necessary in order to grow enough food on our planet as our population expands in the next you know, in the next 50 years. So I think that yeah. science is, is the future and science is going to maybe allow everyone to have the quality of life that they deserve because every human being does deserve a quality of life. Yeah. Um, and I, at least if we keep the idea out there that it's possible and believe that it's possible and strive for it, then it, at least if we fail, we failed believing in something that... Yes. Just, just wasn't. But yeah. yeah, I'm with you. The um, have you seen that documentary Sirius on uh, Netflix recently? No. S i r i u s. Like Sirius Black. <laughs> yeah, it brings up a a, a point uh, that, that that's pretty creepy. That all these guys that have invented free energy machines over the last sixty years, a car that runs on water. Uh, um, a system that puts out more than you it, you put in. Uh, it's been done by a lot of people that have been poisoned and or died suspiciously wow. or had their technology. And it just brought up case after case after case of these guys that, you know, had these technologies and they were ready to bring them out and the government or somebody stopped them. Um, so I think you're right. I think I think technology is the answer, but. Every time somebody invents something that can really, really help, they're assassinated. <laughs> yeah, they're killed. Wow. God, <laughs> how do we get around that? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, the system relies on the oil. So the you know the guys in power are going to do everything they can to burn every last drop of it before any new technology comes to save the day. I, um, but you know, 
we have to beat them. We can't let the assholes win. It's like a race against time. I mean, are we going to change the system first or are we going to run out of resources and all die first? And yeah. who knows? That's yeah. that's a scary thought. Jesus. And it's the problem also might might change when we, if if the you're talking about um health health care getting better and people living longer. You know, there's some people that believe in the next few hundred years that, that we can we'll, we'll start replacing hearts and lungs and veins and uh, we'll be half robot and living a lot longer than we do now. Yeah. Um especially the the rich. Um, but the, just the idea of our lifespans, I think, is is part of why people stay as greedy as they do. Mm. You know, um, if you were an oil guy and you or and you had all these you know trillions of dollars and security and uh, I don't know, I, maybe it's we don't we only seem to learn our lessons right when we're about to croak and then. <laughs> And then we have to do it all over again, you know? Yeah. We don't have time to fix our wrongs. So maybe if we live longer, maybe we'll get a little more conscious. And um, It seems that we've at least come that far, you know? At, people used to live to 30, 40, 60 if you were really lucky. Um, and the world has definitely changed for the better if you just look back through history, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's why it's so important for the stories that we tell each other to – to teach some of the lessons that some of us has, have learned because you go into a history class and you read something in a textbook about what people learned in the past. It doesn't mean that much to you, but if you put it in the context of characters that you love and, and get to know, and then they learn the lessons, then it teaches you something. And then maybe our generation can take on some of the wisdom of the last generation and get, yeah. get to get to a sense of empathy sooner. Well, <laughs> this is yeah. fantastic. You're, you're, <laughs> you are a delight, sir. You are wonderful to talk to. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, so I, of course I have to, I have to bring up Icheb. Uh, you mm. are the first person that I've talked to on the podcast who was actually on Star Trek. Well, I take that back. I was an extra in the 2009 Star Trek, but my scene was deleted and I was very mm. far in the background. So you'd never see me. So that doesn't count. But you, <laughs> sir, you were, uh, you were there, you were on the bridge. You were a part, basically a part of the crew in Voyager. Um, take yeah, the me, last couple seasons there. Yeah. Uh, I've seen every episode of every Star Trek, um, you know, of course, I knew who you were before I heard about the Fifth Passenger. I'd like to hear your story. I'd like to hear, like, growing up, Icheb. I mean, you were pretty young when you started on that show. How old were you? Well, a lot of people think I was younger than I was. I was 21 when I got the part. Really? So, yeah. So I was, you know, I was. I, I considered myself a man uh, when yeah. I got the role. Um, I, I wasn't. I mean, still, I was a kid, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I think people think of him as like a 16-year-old or a 17-year-old yeah, kid. And I, was, sure. I was 21 when I got it. Were you a Star Trek fan before then? And then what was it like to become a part of the crew? Um, yeah, I, I don't have anything but positive things to say about the whole experience. I, I mean, I was a fan of the films. I wasn't a fan of the shows. Not that I didn't like them, just that I didn't watch them. Um I'd caught an episode here or there of each of the different of Next Gen and Deep Space and Voyager before I got on it, um, and I was, certainly was a fan of every Star Trek film that had came out. I had seen and and enjoyed. So when I was auditioning for the part, I knew, oh my god, I I might spend. And I only thought I was auditioning for an episode. Um, wow. I originally was auditioning 
for the bad guy um, that get, <laughs> gets killed in that episode, the the Borg number one. Uh-huh. So I didn't get the part, and they called me and they said, we're going to offer you this, this, the second, the, the other Borg. And I remember being bummed about it, but they ended up making him Echeb, and then little did I know they had a plan to keep him around for the next – and I don't even know actually how the whole thing went. I don't know if they gave me a test episode, that episode where I went to meet my parents and that went well. And so they decided to keep the character around. I don't know if they had a plan from that Borg episode that they were going to keep a kid on the show or a younger man on the show for the next two years. Yeah. They just kind of, you know, every time I got a new episode, I would look at it i would read it my character would almost die and then i would get to the end of the episode i would still be on the ship and i would kind of pump my fist and then a couple episodes later i'd have another one so um but it was nothing but cool i mean it was two years of working on a spaceship i i had a great time with that cast and that crew and you know three big sound studios full of spaceship to run around on um for long hours that you got paid well for and then after that you get off the show and you get to travel the world and meet the fan base and people invite you all over the place, all over the planet. And you get to meet cultures and, and, and uh, people of like minds uh, all over the world. So I can't complain about that either. Um, it's, it's been a ride that I'm still enjoying. How did it change you as a person? You, know, you seem like a very introspective person. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on what you were like as an individual before and after this experience. I mean, I, I assume that it would affect your ego to all of a sudden be in the public eye and, you know, on this well, beloved show. Well, if we're show. talking about empathy in, in general here, that's what the Star Trek experience taught me. Yeah. I was a young, cocky asshole when I got <laughs> that part. And I, you know, got some fame and some money and just spun out of control those first couple of years. Wow. And, um, really thought I was cool. And it, and it sort of fell flat on my face right around 25 um, and realized that I wasn't as cool as I thought I was. Um, and that that's sort of when I, when I learned, you know, I don't think I was a, a, a terribly bad person, but I was definitely full of myself. And it wasn't until then that, you know, I was going on stages. I remember when you, when you go to conventions and you go around the world for these Star Trek conventions, they treat you really well, you know, and, and they give you a microphone, they throw you on stage in front of sometimes thousands of people. And I didn't appreciate that hmm. for those first couple of years. I didn't really, so I would just go out on stage and, uh, you know, I'd make people laugh, and but I wasn't sort of aware of the the power in that. That that you, if you have something to say for that hour, and you have a you have a chance to communicate with a lot of people and and leave something positive in your wake. You know, yeah. um, if you know what I mean. Like you don't get to see what your effect on the world. Like, but you know if you go up there for an hour and you speak about things that matter that most likely you you people go out and are doing some positive things you know it sounds like you um, switched from being like enjoying it internally to enjoying it externally where it was a it went from being about you to being about the audience yeah exactly the first couple of years of fame and and decent money I it was all about me and party and oh, oh yeah my career and everything and blah 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 
Um, and that led to emptiness and sort of like I just felt really more – I had all this love pouring in from the fans, but I felt more alone than I yeah. probably ever felt my whole life. I wow. felt like – because I was, I was. I was just – it was all about me. It was all about ego. But then as soon as I found out that I was fallible and that I I was worthy of, of the – I guess I couldn't handle the – I knew I was an imperfect person and I was getting so much – love from the world that I just couldn't handle it. I didn't think I deserved it. Um, but in growing up and getting older and, you know, looking at all of it, it, there was a point there where I cleaned up my act and I started caring about people and about myself and learning how to love myself. And, um, luckily had some decent friends and family on the planet that were there to, you know, not let me crash and burn completely. Um, and, you know, I got my sort of got my wits about me around 27 years old and uh, played some music for a few years and then moved back to Los I moved out of Los Angeles for three years. I moved back, back when I was 30 and have <clears throat> gone back to to acting and to producing and filmmaking. And um, this time it's been a, a journey about surrounding myself with the right people and positive people and loyal people and passionate people instead of, instead of like, you know, money people and i'm sorry but i, I you know money people I, I even know some money people that are great people uh, it's not that money doesn't necessarily create bad people but right um success changes people and i think in a lot of ways you were lucky that you came to the conclusions that you did and you took positive from from negative and you saw negative and then made a positive change and now i mean listening to you talk it sounds like you have like a really interesting critical mind and that you, you know, and, and you sound like a very positive well, person. I mean, I've only, I've, I've never met you. We've only been talking yeah. for like 40 minutes, but I, I just get a really great vibe from, from you as a person. Well, I think that Star Trek had a lot to do with that. Cause I was a, a, a you know, a, a disgruntled sort of punk rock kid that was out of control and angry. And somehow you know, throughout the whole experience of, of the Star Trek scene and being around people with the Roddenberry vision and the Star Trek attitude uh, that people can change and love and, and support each other, um, it all kind of seeped in, you know. Wow. Um, so it, I, I'm very thankful to the whatever's out there, to the, to the whole journey that um, being on that a part of that show and a part of that franchise um, definitely helped me. Um, there's nothing negative I can say about it. I mean, the, yeah. the the only thing I can, you know, there's a little bit of a negative scene behind the scenes at, at Star Trek conventions when it comes to greed <laughs> and money and who's going and the power trips and and celebrity power trips and how much you get paid to, and uh you know some of the celebrities don't like the fan base and and just fake that they do um and i really don't and those people are kind of gross um, <laughs> well we don't have to talk about those people we can focus on the positive yeah but the the otherwise you know it's um that, that's the only negative thing i can think about it is just you know it is a business and so inherently in business there's a little bit of icky in it but yeah uh for the most part it's it's pretty cool so what are the relationships you've taken from this? I, I hear you're good friends with Tim Russ. Yeah, I love Tim. Um, uh, high, 
hired him on Fifth Passenger, and uh, he hired me on Renegades, and uh, we're working together on a project down the road too. Um, I I always like actually, you know, me and Tim actually didn't become really good friends till a couple of years after the show, but we would see each other on Star Trek events, and then I, I just grew closer and closer to him, and. Uh, Love that guy. I, I, you know, my whole cast. I'm, I'm big fans. Of everybody in my cast. Um, still friends with all of them. Um, some closer than others, but uh, you know, definitely a fan of all those people. That was the coolest thing about coming on to Voyager. Is in Hollywood, there's a lot of actors in general are kind of crappy people. <laughs> the TV actors, especially. TV actors especially, if you go onto a show as a guest star and you're going to meet the main cast, a lot of times, you know, seven out of ten, the people aren't very good. They're not very – they're sort of full of, full of themselves and, and lucky and, and haven't learned the lessons that they need to learn and they're just the kind of self-centered people. And Voyager was very different than that. I, I felt like everybody on that cast um, – was welcoming and down to to have me join the crew and I never felt like an outsider <clears throat> and um all of them as people I really really like uh you know they're all well-lived individuals with uh they're funny and intelligent and kind uh there's not a bad person on that cast that's awesome so tell me a little bit about your approach to playing Icheb. I mean, he's very emotionally contained, but I sense a like a, a boiling anger under the surface, especially after watching Renegades and seeing Icheb as as an adult. Uh, I mean, he's different in Renegades because he's been through a lot. He's you know been worked on by Section Thirty One, but it did grow naturally from what had happened in Voyager, and he, he comes from a very dark past. I mean. The board yeah, I think him. even in in Voyager, you can tell that he's not to be screwed with. Yeah, I mean, he's he's still a you know he still is you know a third Borg or whatever. Um, I always thought he was very had a really sharp edge to him too. He was kind and he was, but yeah, Ichab was was a badass. And uh, whenever anybody says, "Oh, he was one of those Borg kids," I'm like, "No, he was a Borg young man." like figuring a lot of stuff out um in renegades like i i you know if if they get to do another one i hope they get i hope they explore a little bit more about why and what exactly happened to him and and the kind of man he is because the first time um when i when, when that script got rewritten it got rewritten a couple times before it sh shot and I, I'm not sure where, but somewhere along the way, I think writers worked on it that didn't really hadn't really seen all the Echep episodes. At least mm -hmm. that's my that's my guess, because a lot of the dialogue in Renegades was very unlike Echep. He just didn't speak like he spoke in Voyager. He didn't um, act like he acted in Voyager. He he would say things that were. You know, Echeb had a really big vocabulary. He's, he was a genius kid, of course. Um, and they, in Renegades, a lot of times, like, I would go up to Tim Russ, who was directing, and I would be like, uh, look, look Echeb's about to say, get out of the way, bitch. <laughs> and Echeb would, would never say anything like that. I just don't buy it, you know? Yeah. Um, 
so we ended I ended up just cutting a bunch of the dialogue and Tim cut the dialogue because it didn't match each other. I couldn't, and so we would try to figure out a way to give him a better line, but because of all the rewrites and, and the crazy rewrites and just try, we were, we, you know, the script was still being rewritten as we were shooting. So what ended up happening is I ended up cutting a, a lot of what I was going to be, the character was going to say and just sort of deciding not to say the line and looking stoic. And so you have this character you don't really know much about. He's got that one scene with, Oh, what's the character's name? Rihanna, not Rihanna. The Betazoid. Nara. Yeah, Renara. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he, you know, tells the story that he's he he went into the program to to help people and was tricked into becoming a, a weapon. Right. Um. But we don't learn much much more than just that. And I thought it was kind of fun. I I I like to watch him just stoic, and it was a neat turn. But I hope. Uh, in the future, if they make more episodes, that we get to find a, a we, we get to hear him speak a little bit more and hear more about who he is and what he's become. Yeah, I agree 100. percent And that was my favorite Echeb scene in the movie, just because it's the only one that really got under the surface and uh, just a continuation <clears throat> of a character that you haven't seen for such a long time, played by the same actor who's grown. Uh, that's such a special thing to see. Uh, that was my favorite part of Renegades was just seeing all of these people that I loved back on the screen playing parts that I knew them for or people that I love from other science fiction like seeing Sean Young was fantastic and uh, I'm blanking on his name uh, from Terminator 2, John Connor. Oh, man, I'm an idiot. Yeah. What's his name? Eddie. Uh, what's his last name? I'm losing my mind. Furlong. Furlong. Edward Furlong. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. Uh, was it Twitch? Was that his character's name? Uh, Twitch? No, it wasn't Twitch. It was um. Oh man, it's something just like Twitch. Yeah. <laughs> I just watched it <laughs> once, and I watched it recently. Uh, Fixer? No, his name's Fixer. Fixer, yeah. yeah. Um, it was just it was a really cool experience to watch, and it did not quite feel like Star Trek, which would be my one critique. But it was like a <laughs> fun action movie involving Star Trek, which was super exciting. And as a as a pilot. It excites me because I know you're trying to make more, trying to make a web series uh, of Renegades. That would be so awesome just to see this world fleshed out and just to have more Star Trek in the timeline that we all grew up with. Because, you know, as, say what you will about the J.J. Abrams movies. Those movies are like in a totally different timeline than what we grew up with on TV. So having something new made, even if it's fan made, being in that timeline was still really exciting. And I really hope to see more. I'd love to see each have fleshed out some more. Um, and I'd love to see you play that character more. It's just such a, a thrill to see that still happen. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm not really involved in the project much more than an actor, so I, I'll, I'll come along for the ride if they'd like me along. Um, but I, I don't know what's going on with, with it besides that I, I know they're trying to do more, and I, I certainly would if, if they make it. Um, and as far as TV pilots go, they're, you know, I, I was watching a few shows recently, and and the pilot episodes are always the worst episode. Right. <laughs> and and so I, I was I was I saw it in Vegas. They did a screening of it in Vegas, and I went, well, you know, that was not a bad pilot episode. Right. Um, if they really dedicate themselves to making this show better, it's going to get pretty good. Um, and it looks like they're doing so. So cross my fingers for some good writing and some. Um, good producing and 
but then of course like you know it's so hard to make sci-fi for a little amount of money and whether the fan base is going to keep giving them the kind of budgets they need to make what they're trying to make that's the question of um, I'm dedicated to you know finishing the fifth passenger and then I'm off on this new project called the circuit and I have like 25 actors that you know and love from um, sci-fi fantasy and um, superhero shows that have either been on or are on TV right now all attached to this project and wow. Basically, it's it's you know next year is the fiftieth year anniversary of the sci-fi convention as we know it. Um, the first one was in 1966, and so I'm trying to find the ten best stories that have happened behind the scenes at Star Trek conventions, either fiction or based on a true story, and smash them all up into this genre-bending movie that's just a look at behind the scenes what the convention scene is and it's called the circuit the last convention <laughs> um so you know it'll have it'll there'll be a sci-fi story there'll be a, a supernatural story there'll be a, a sci-fi epic there'll be a, a fantasy story a, a horror story a buddy comedy uh, you know everything um and half of the stories i the actors that are involved so far, we've all got great stories that have taken place over the years. Um, but then there's some fiction thrown in, and about half of the film is written. And we're going to launch it next year, but but what we need is we need the, the stories from the fans. And so we're going to take submissions from the fan base to, to fill the movie in. And if, if, if a fan's uh, submission is accepted then they're going to be the story editor. They're going to come on board with our writers and we're going to sort of flesh the whole thing out with cool. seeing the perspectives from the fans, from the actors, from the promoters, from, you know, so it'll be a, it'll be a fun sort of genre bending anthology movie. Wow. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. I, I love that idea. What a cool project. Oh, it's going to be fun as hell. It's going to be really fun. Yeah. So, uh, and a lot of uh, big names have signed up. So I'm just getting together, building the web pages, and and getting the thing ready to show the public. So you've become very identifiable with the sci-fi genre. Were you? Did you grow up on sci-fi? I mean, is this something that's always been a part of your life, or did this start when you were cast on Voyager? No, I always liked the genre. My dad, when I was a, a kid, wrote a couple of sci-fi novels um, that oh, wow. he sent adapted to screenplays. They. they They've never been published, but they're, it's a fantastic story, and I remember growing up on it. And um, of course, I watched all the, you know, E.T. and the Spielberg movie. Uh, what's that? What? Come on, uh, close, close Encounters. Uh, close Encounters of yeah, you know, um, and you know, Ghostbusters not sci-fi, but close enough. Close enough. <laughs> I, yeah, I of course I, I two thousand. 2001 even uh i just got the Stan stanley kubrick collection the other day and rewatched that um it's an amazing genre when it's done right it's so cool when it's done wrong it's so cheesy and <laughs> it's so bad um, but you you can say that about any genre you know when they make it right it's awesome when they make it wrong it's terrible 
Yeah. There's something about sci-fi when they make it right that just touches me personally on such a deeper level. I mean, fantasy gets really close, but it's always been sci-fi for me that just really did it. Where when sci-fi is good, I feel it in my whole body. It's this amazing like tingling feeling of expansiveness and feeling like the universe is larger than I ever thought it was. I am uh, a gigantic fan of all genres. I don't think there's a genre. I'm just a film fan. Yeah. I don't much like television. Interesting. Um, even though it's getting better, I still don't watch any network shows. I don't watch any network TV. I can't. I can't watch you know those. Uh, the the cable shows and the HBO and and Showtime and, and stuff. They're they're starting to make film quality television. Um, right. But even then, I, I still can't get through like more than a season. Once you take a story and you're and you're like and you try to make it multiple seasons, I just don't have the uh, I don't have the appetite for that kind of storytelling where you're just keeping the person addicted to get to the next episode and hmm. which character is going to die. And what and that that soap opera type of storytelling, it, it starts to bore me no matter how good it is. But. Uh, but films that, that that one and a half to three hour format of like bang here's the story I'm always going to be just a major fan of that no matter what the genre is if it's told well and I'm actually more of a I have more of an appetite for just drama than I do uh, sci-fi interesting what's your favorite um, film ooh that's I I can't I couldn't do it I couldn't maybe like three to five of your of what comes to mind as favorites, uh, Alien is a uh, is up there. Uh, Pulp Fiction is up there. Um, I just saw a film that a, a friend of mine made named called Honey Glue. That God, I hope it gets out there like it should because it's a really powerful drama. Um, but The Goonies, uh, <laughs> you know, um, any one of Kubrick's film, The Shining. Uh, even the one with the Cruz and Kidman, I thought was fantastic. The, yeah, eyes wide uh, shut. I loved it. I just watched Mad Max. I thought that was gorgeous. I, you know, that's the other cool thing about the Princess Bride. And mm. you know, my, I don't know. My The Matrix was a pretty phenomenal movie. Ex Machina recently. Did you see Ex Machina? Oh, oh I want to see that, that so cool. bad. I haven't seen that oh, yet. Oh God, there's a you, you like sci-fi. That is a heck of a film, and it's it's like sci-fi, but also just a really gritty drama um, at the same time. Um, those are the films I like. I like sci-fi that that isn't over the top. Yeah. You know, um, and that's what I tried to do with Fifth Passenger, and I hope we succeeded. Is is like, I don't like that over the, you know, if it's campy and over the top on purpose, sometimes it's fun. But I hate when, like, I wanted to make, you know, Fifth Passengers like this, this idea of, you know, these different classes of citizens that get stuck in this little first class space pod. And I wanted, and then how, as the air and the food and other complications start to arise, how we start to break down as individuals and as a society, et cetera, just to, to watch that, that craziness. And I thought, cool, here's a chance to make, uh, to cast a few of my friends, hopefully raise some money 
tell this great story. Scott and Morgan wrote this really great story with a really great twists and a great ending and good stuff. But it was in the sci-fi universe. So I was like, cool, I can do everything I want to do. Um, and you know, so far watching the rough cut, I'm, I'm pretty excited about what we've been able to accomplish. So which, uh, which character do you play? I play a character named Thompson who's, um, I think they probably broke it down, but we live in a world now where all these major ships are, are exiting earth and the, the first-class citizens are either of the Asian or African-American culture because they were able to build these domes and everybody else had to live outside them or below them, et cetera. And so we've fallen into a, a, a very, very classist system where if you're not a citizen, you're, you're basically subhuman. Wow. And your only, your only job is to work on the mega ships to get the citizens to the new Earth. And so if you're a non-citizen, you live and die on these long journeys back and forth between this new planet that they're ferrying everyone to. And I play this, this character that is down in the lower decks taking care of chicks, chickens um, named Thompson, who's just sort of a pessimistic, radical, you know, farmer guy that um, <laughs> is now stuck in this situation with all, with, you know, all these um, upper class people with this girl that he really, he's sort of like, He's a really fun character because he's crazy and he's he doesn't give a crap and um, he's sort of like Hudson from Aliens uh, is <laughs> kind of who I compare him to. He's just sort of a wingnut. Um, so it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's so different from what I've seen you do. That sounds like uh, maybe closer to your personality than each have would be. Yeah, um, for sure. I, there, there's. There's each of smarter than I am. <laughs> um, in fact, you know, the whole time Scott was putting this movie together and I was putting it, you know, when I first read it, I, I pretty much knew that before we even decided to make it together, I was like, I'm going to play that part. That's that's my part. And I think he, he recognized that in me, too. And um, I mean, he's the kind of guy that, you know, calls you calls his friend fucker and douchebag and you know he's just um he's out there um and i am like that so i think scott just recognized that in me you know what was it like um, to work with uh, scott and morgan um we all learned to love each other scott's a really easygoing guy who who's thank god for him because he lets everything bounce off him really well um Morgan is a control freak. Um, I'm a control freak, and I want everything to be really, really, really good. Um, making movies is really, really hard. Um, so if you're there and everybody's not pulling, p- putting in their their full effort to make something great, I don't even want to be there. I'd rather be home watching one, you know. Right. Um, and that just comes from having acted for for twenty something years. You you just you do so many bad things, um, projects that don't get out, projects that never get seen, um, and you work. I mean, this that's what people, I think, around the, the world that aren't in entertainment don't realize. When you watch a movie, man, the, the, take Mad Max, for example. If you go watch that movie from front to finish, you'll watch guy. I mean, Tom Hardy's jumping in the dirt. 
fighting, throwing things, running, jumping, diving, climbing, getting wet, getting filthy, getting blood. He, he's out in the desert. Yeah, you really work. I mean, you know, um, acting is exhausting. And, and it's a, a lot of times you're putting all your emotions out there on the scene. You're not faking it. You know, I, to me, the only way that if, if my father's dying in my arms in a scene, I have to believe it. Right. And I have to go to that place. And it's just emotionally also exhausting as well as physically. So. Um, the, the three of them were, you know, we all wanted it to be good and we all wanted it to be good in our own way. Um, and so we did a lot of yelling at each, at each other, but, um, we, we made something, I think we made something really, really people are, that people are really going to like, and that I'm really proud of. So it was worth it. Yeah. I am just so excited to see this movie. And after talking to the three of you so far, uh, oh my God, I'm even more excited. It sounds just right up my alley as far as what I'm looking for from science fiction. Uh, and also like knowing you guys a little bit and knowing, getting to know you a little bit just makes me really curious to see your creative vision come to life. Uh, cool. And you know, it's independent, you yeah. know, and we didn't, we didn't have a whole lot of money at all compared to some of these other projects out there. These, um, sci-fi or, or star trek indies that are that have had you know a pretty significant amount of money thrown at them and we had to do it on a budget but i still believe that we created something um better than those mm. films cool um and not not to like throw dirt at those guys i'm I'm proud of what everybody's been if you can make a, a sci-fi film for less than a million dollars that's good hats off to you um and because of a lot of people's creative energy and some money from the sci-fi fan base, we were able to do something that I think people are going to really like. So Yeah. Well, we got to mention the Indiegogo, Indiegogo campaign uh, yeah. to get this movie done. We need to fund, this, fund the VFX. So if you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> I mean, obviously it's going to be the best movie you've ever seen. So let's get it finished. Let's get some, <clears throat> some money over to these guys so they can make the best version possible. You know the story the 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 people that will that decide to help us uh, finish the film. This is sort of the what happened, and what happened was we had this fantastic script. We found some sets that were pre-built, that were spaceship sets that weren't being used, that ah. we could completely dismantle and re-art department, uh, redecorate them to look like a completely different film. So we had an opportunity all of a sudden, but we. We had to shoot them on this particular date. So we threw up the Indiegogo campaign and we got $82,000. But $82,000 does not a movie make. Right. Um, but suddenly we'd promised people a movie and they'd come through for, you know, $82,000 is a lot of money. And we had all these actors attached. So then we had to scramble to match funds to just get enough money to shoot the thing and build a couple more sets to, to finish the film. So this thing sort of just took off on us. And within six months, we had a movie that was going to cost upwards of $300,000. And we're done except for paying the visual effects companies to give us the kick-ass A-level visual effects that we want the movie to have. We don't want like Lava Lanchula, Sharknado type visual effects, <laughs> you know? We yeah. want it to look great, and we have the companies that are willing to do that for us, and they're also taking a big, big beat on the price 
tag that they're giving us. But we definitely need to raise another 40, 50 grand to finish this be right. right. And so how, however long it takes, we're going to do that. But um, we appreciate the support out there for sure because we decided as a producing team that we're not going to release the movie until everything about it is done correctly. So this is the last step. Yeah. Well, and, I, uh, I can't wait to see it. People can just go to www.5thpassenger.com to support the project over the next uh, 27 days. Yeah, and I, I highly encourage you to do so. I mean, you know, 15, 20 bucks from each of us goes a long way towards making this happen. There's so many sci-fi fans out there that want, that, that have been clamoring for original material, and here it is. So let's let's make it happen. Yeah. This has been awesome. I'm having such a blast talking to you. You're such a fascinating individual. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, I, you've answered everything that I wanted to talk about. I've got a lot of good, good stuff coming out this year. Um, check, take a look out for Unbelievable. And um, I have a movie called Benjamin Troubles that's just hitting the festival scene right now. Um, and a pilot called Table Manners that's out there floating around. So I might be on TV next year. But if you, if you like if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter at Monuente Reme or on my Facebook fan page, uh, facebook.com backslash Monuente Reme123. Fantastic. And I'll post links to all that stuff when I put this episode up. Okay. Um, and, uh, of course, Twitter, uh, Instagram is the same. It's all at Monuente Reme in one way or another. Awesome. Well, Manu, what a pleasure. <laughs> this has been amazing. I can't wait to release this episode. Right. I think people are going to love it. Um, Thank you. Keep in touch, man. Uh, you know, next year when I launch the circuit, maybe we do it again. Absolutely. And if you're ever in Seattle, uh, come on over. We'll do it in person. I'll, I'll make you a pot of tea and we can uh, get down and deep. It'll be fun. Sounds good. Fantastic. Thank you so much. See you, brother. That was the good stuff. So, Manu, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was such a pleasure to chat with you and even more fun to go back and relive it again when I put this episode together. Uh, I just want to say one more time that my thoughts are with Meredith Flanders' family and uh, all the comedians and friends who were affected by her passing. Um, it's It's been wonderful to see the community come together and everyone support each other. And There's been some sort of event happening every day for people to get together and spend some time together, and that's been really wonderful to see. So coming up in the future, I've talked a lot about sci-fi on trial, and it is almost ready to go. Episode one is almost ready. I might actually have it ready by this Friday. So that's my goal at this point is to get it out on Friday. You're going to love it. It is fantastic. We talk all about episode one, uh, The Phantom Menace, and what it meant to us in our childhood. We're going to put the way we remember that movie on trial to see if the fandom is doing this movie justice. That's coming up, hopefully this Friday. Fingers crossed, knock on, on something wooden. There we go. Uh, and thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us positive reviews on whatever podcasting platform you listen on. Follow me on Twitter at Sci-Fi Project. Follow at Sci-Fi on Trial to get the newest news on that new show when it comes out. Coming up next time on the show, I had a long conversation with Ian Adams, who runs a local Star Trek fan group called The Red Shirts. They are watching every single episode and movie of all Star Trek in release order. They've been doing it for about five years. It has turned into a five-year mission, 
It's super fucking rad. We had the nerdiest conversation ever going back and forth about everything and all of Star Trek uh, continuity. And it was fantastic. It was so much fun. I'm really excited to bring that to you next time. And that's it for the show this week. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope to see you soon.